2 Chronicles chapter 8 through 10 as we end the life of Solomon and going into his first son's reign, Rehoboam and Jeroboam tonight. 2 Chronicles chapter 8, pick it up in verse 1. Now it came to pass at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house, and that the cities which Hiram had given to Solomon, Solomon built them, and he settled the children of Israel there. Father, we just pray now for your word. We pray for this night that, Lord, again, you would just wash us clean. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. We thank you for those serving in Jesus' name. Amen. So now we're kind of wrapping up the life of Solomon. Remember, the chronicler is giving us a more uh, kind of the Reader's Digest version of it, looking at after they have come back into the land from being exiled. And so a little bit friendlier <laughs> to the king's uh, hindsight to his son. So it says it came to pass at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the house of the Lord in his own house, and that the cities which Hiram had given Solomon, Solomon built there and settled the children of Israel there. So that was the northern uh, section that Hiram gave back to the children of Israel, and so they are now settling up in that area, the region of Dan, uh, up in the northern portion. And Solomon went to Hamath Zobah and seized it. He also built Tadmor in the wilderness and all of the stored cities which he built in Hamath. And he built Upper Beth Horon and Lower Beth Horon, fortified cities with walls, gates, and bars. Also, Baalith and all of the stored cities that Solomon and all of the chariot cities and the cities of the Calvary and all that Solomon had desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and all of the land of his dominion. Now, uh, Solomon, as we will see tonight, is a massive builder, and he is going to get bored. What do you do when you've got several billion dollars? Well, you go to space, don't you? That's what we do today. Well, back then, they couldn't really do that. So Solomon is a builder and then he is going to own his own zoo because he is bored. And we have to be careful again with idleness. And so Solomon builds these massive fortresses. He builds these massive storage facilities. If you go to Israel with us, you can see the one uh, that is in Megiddo. It's wonderful to see uh, the stables that uh, Solomon built there, the water shaft, uh, it really is an incredible view from sitting on top, seeing uh, the Valley of Megiddo, uh, and you know that that's where the last battle uh, on planet Earth will take, take uh, place uh, in the Valley of Megiddo there. But he, he builds all this, he conquers all of this. In verse 7 it says, And all the people who were left of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, who were not in Israel, that is, their descendants, who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel did not destroy, whom these Solomon raised forced labor as it is this day. But Solomon did not make the children of Israel servants for his work. Some were men of war, captains of his officers, captains of chariots and his cavalry, and other people, and I'm sorry, and others who were chief of the officials of King Solomon were 250 who ruled over the people. So this is describing Solomon's government uh, and the officials that are taking care of these different areas. And then Solomon, verse 12, offered, no, sorry, verse 11, now Solomon brought up the daughter of Pharaoh up from the city of David to the house that he had built for her. For he had said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the place in which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. Now Solomon is, is quite a character. Uh, he, he, again, 
uh, has no real enemies. Uh, his father David had taken care of that. We will see the amount of tons of gold that filters into the city and to Israel every year is mind-blowing. Uh, so he has no enemies. He's got all of this time. And so as we know from the book of Kings, he starts to multiply wives unto himself to the point that he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. And it mentions one of them here. Notice with me in verse 11. Now Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh up from the city of David to the house which he had built for her. And he says, For my wife shall not dwell in the house of King David of Israel, because the place to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. So he doesn't say, hey, I shouldn't marry this girl. He just says, I won't put her close to the, <laughs> the temple of the Lord. What? I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm going to continue anyway. In fact, I'm going to put it a little over here so God really won't see that. None of you ever have thought that. Amen. Now, this is supposed to be the wisest guy of all time. You ever notice that? And I don't mean to say this in a real, like, offensive way, but kind of the smartest people on planet Earth are really kind of the most foolish and, dare I say, dumb. Einstein couldn't do basic math. He could do these amazing <laughs> calculations uh, but he, he couldn't do some really simple things. And, and yet you've got the smartest guy here of all time, the wisdom of Solomon that's well known that we will see the Queen of Sheba in the next chapter will travel over 1,400, 1,500 miles to come see and hear this wisdom. And yet at the end of the day, what does he care about? He cares more about this relationship or this thing that he has over the holiness of God or his own personal holiness. Verse 12 tells us, Then Solomon offered burnt offering to the Lord on the altar which he had built before the vestibule, according to the daily rate, according to the number of the commandments of Moses, for the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the three appointed yearly feasts. That's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So, Solomon is doing wrong and yet still continuing in his religious daily, monthly, yearly activity. Like this situation over here really doesn't matter to God. As long as I burn a couple of cows to him, I'll be good. How many people are still in that place of religion where, well, if I just come Christmas and Easter, I'll be okay. Hey, if I donate a little bit, Hey, if I do something really, and like Solomon, they miss the point. Notice it continues in verse 14. And according to the order of David, his father, he appointed the divisions of the priests for their service, the Levites for their duties, to praise and to serve before the priest, as the duty of each day required. At the gatekeepers by their division at each gate, and so David, the man of God, had commanded. And they did not depart from the command of the king to the priest and the Levites concerning any manner or concerning the treasuries. Now all the work of Solomon was well ordered from the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord until it was finished. And so the house of the Lord was completed. And then Solomon went to Ezon, Geber, and Elot. That's a lot today down uh, in the Gulf of Aqaba. Notice on the seacoast in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent him ships by the hands of his servants. And his servants who knew the sea, they were the servants of Solomon to Ophir. And according to... I'm sorry, and they acquired 450 talents of gold from there and brought it to Solomon. What's interesting is the Israelis have never been a seafaring people at all. The Phoenicians, other people around the Mediterranean, the Romans, the Greeks, they, they I mean, you lived on the Mediterranean, why not be a seafaring people? But the Jews never were. 
And yet it seems that David puts in a lot this uh, port so that he can go from the Sea of Aqaba down the Red Sea and come out. And where do you have access to now? I don't mean to do geography on Wednesday night. I should have put a map up, sorry. You have access to India and you have access to Africa. You have access to the spices over in uh, the east as well. So you have this great access, and as we will see, uh, Solomon becomes an amazing merchant, and the amount of goods that flow into Israel, it is never seen before, uh, even uh, with all of the other kings and is in the days of Jesus it never became what it was under Solomon. It was an amazing empire, again, given by God for a specific purpose, but as we will start to see tonight, squandered only after the second generation. Sad, isn't it? Well, let's get to Sheba, shall we? I know you've been waiting. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, and I believe it's because he is sending out these ships and he is, he's going all of these areas, as we'll see tonight, that she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon, notice, with hard questions, having a great regiment or a great group of people, an entourage of camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with them about all that was in her heart. Now, it's quite interesting, that this woman, the Queen of Sheba, because really we don't know where she's from. How many of you have heard that she has come from Ethiopia or from Africa? All right. How many of you heard that she has come from southern, the, the southern portion of Arabia, which is uh, current-day Yemen? Nobody. How can you not know that one? Well, uh, those are the two areas that we believe uh, is, uh, there is a leaning towards the area of uh, Yemen because uh, we have even today evidence of an amazing empire that used to be there. I mean, today it's a bunch of rocks and sand uh, and oil, uh, but back then it was an amazing empire because of where Yemen is, southern uh, Saudi Arabia, and again, it has the ability to go in all directions from there, especially over into India and then over into China. Uh, it could very well be that she is from Ethiopia as well. There, there is no real hard data. Does it really matter? Isn't that nice? Where is she from? Let's have a committee about it doesn't really matter. Jesus makes the point that she is real. That's good. Uh, and he makes the point that Solomon's real. But for our purposes, where she is, it really doesn't matter. It's the why she comes that's important. Know with me in verse 1 that she hears of the fame of Solomon, and so she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon. So she is coming from Yemen. That's about a 1,400-mile trip and from Ethiopia, it's roughly the same. How many of you would go on a, cam uh, remember this, a camel in the desert with no deodorant, no toothpaste? I mean, what kind of trip does that look like? How many months does it take you to be on that camel? You have a lot of determination to go and hear for yourself what God is doing in the, uh, you know, through Solomon and the Israeli people. That's pretty good. And yet we won't go to a political rally or go to a whatever. Any, we, we just, we won't do that anymore. Yeah, we have cars. How many of you would go from here to Memphis on a camel? Well, camel. <laughs> and you're like, oh, donkey? <laughs> I mean, Think about she is hearing. Now, she herself is a queen, so she is ruling. She has, listen, it is no different than today. You got some leader somewhere around the world, and he starts to get notoriety, and he's doing some wonderful things, and what do all the other leaders want to do? They want to go and check it out. Hey, why are they doing what they are doing? And so know with me that she brings this entourage 
She brings spices. Now, I was thinking about this. Uh, imagine Solomon, and we don't know what the spices look like uh, in their day, what they had. Can you imagine the first time he had cinnamon? We take that for granted. What about pepper? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm a pepper guy. I can't really have a meal without that. I mean, they had salt. Salt would be coffee. Yeah, right? You're like, hey. Or tea. Tea came from the east. It's very possible she is bringing these things that he has never had, nor any of the other Israelis. So it's just an amazing thing that she is bringing all of these spices, gold in abundance, precious stones. Notice when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. She was excited to talk about the man who she had heard about having this godly wisdom. And so Solomon answered her all of her questions, and there was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain unto her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food for his table, the seating uh, of his servants, the, ser- uh, the service of his waiters, the house and the apparel, his cupbearers and all their apparel, and the entryway by which they went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. It took her breath away. Note with me that it says when in verse 3 that when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom, so it wasn't just she heard about it, she saw it. So it was the acts of what the temple was built, probably his amazing fortresses, his house, all of those things, she was able to see the wisdom of the house. But then I love this, um, and maybe it's just her, but uh, I don't know about you, but if I walked into somewhere and I saw all the, if you went to Buckingham Palace, men, would you be more impressed about the waiters and what they looked like or the guardsmen walking in and what rifle they had? It's a male-female thing. She looks at this and goes, I can't believe the opulence of the dining hall and the servants and how they're preparing it. And Kings tells us the amount of food that was prepared for King David. She's blown away. Notice verse 4. She, it blows her so much away that she is speechless. And then she said to the king, it was a true report, which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw it with my own eyes. And indeed, notice, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told. You exceed the fame in which I heard. She The whole thing blows her away. Now listen, you look at Israel today, and Israel is amazing in the technology that it has and what it's been able to do with the little water it has uh, and all of that. But to be able to see Solomon's kingdom must have been amazing. We're going to read that silver is so common, it's like stones. I don't know about you, but I like a few of those stones then at the price of silver today. I mean, what would this have looked like to the point where she, who is a queen herself and has a, has a, a territory, an empire, that she herself is blown away by all what she sees. Notice, she says, Happy are your men and happy are your servants who stand continually before you to hear your wisdom. She says, the guys that are just serving you, That must have been amazing because they get to hear your wisdom uh, come out daily. How amazing is that? And notice with me here in verse 8, she brings it right to the place that it ought to be. Blessed be the Lord your God. She realizes that it was God and God alone that was doing this work. Notice, who delighted in you, setting you on his throne, to be king for the Lord your God, 
because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever, therefore he made you king over them. What is the role of a leader? Here it is, underline it. It's through the Bible to do justice and righteousness. To promote justice and right on living. And she gave the king 100. Now, I don't know why she gave the king this amount of gold. I mean, she would have seen how much gold was already in the city. But so she gives the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance, precious stones. There, uh, there never were any spices such as those the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. That, I love that. Again, how cool would that have been? She gave him, uh, you can do this uh, math later, 9,000 pounds of gold. Um, I'll just have a couple. Uh, 9,000. But on top of that, it says that there had, the, the, the nation of Israel and Solomon himself had never seen the spices that she brought. And I just think that's the coolest thing. Also, the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon who brought gold from Ophir uh, brought alum wood and precious stones. And the king made walkways of the alum wood uh, for the house of the Lord and the king's house. But notice with me, it seems like it's a good wood for musical instruments, also for harps and stringed instruments for the singer. And there was none such as these seen before in the land of Judah. So they probably came from India, um, the kind of the rosewood. Uh, that rosewood is famous for uh, musical instruments, for guitars. But the amount of wood that came in, the dude made step, he made a deck out of it. He put it everywhere. We're going we're to start to see that this guy is starting to get bored. He's going to figure out ways to spend the 9,000 pounds of gold, the tons of gold that come in year by year. So <laughs> let's see. Now the king gave, verse 12, to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, and whatever she asked as um, much more than she had brought to the king. And so she turned and went to her own country, and she and her servants. Now, there is a tradition, it's nowhere in the Bible, so don't look for it, that before the queen of Sheba left, she asked Solomon for a son and that she took that son back to her kingdom. We have no proof of that. Uh, it is simply one of those nice, fanciful uh, things that are in old history uh, and in tradition, but we have nowhere where that is in the Bible. Verse 13, now the weight of the gold that came to Solomon yearly, everybody got that? Every single year was 666 talents of gold. Got that? Six, six, six. That's not good. <laughs> That's 24 tons of gold every single year. Go home, put it into your you're like your phone or in, into the computer and figure out the current rate, 24 tons of gold every year. What are you going to do with that? Well, well, we'll see what he does with that. Besides what the traveling merchants and traders bought, I'm sorry, brought, and all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the countries brought gold and silver to Solomon. So it seemed that during the days of Solomon, he became literally the headquarters of all merchandise for the entire area. And so it would all funnel into Israel. And so what do you do with that much gold? Well, King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. They will disappear later. <laughs> uh, but he made 200 large shields of hammered gold and 600 shekels of hammered gold went into each shield. So you're bored you got tons of gold in the storehouse. Why not make a bunch of gold shields to line your house? <laughs> and so he also made 
300 shields of hammered gold and 300 shekels of gold. They went into each shield, and the king put them into the house of the forest of Lebanon. Now, please don't think that this house actually is in Lebanon or in uh, the forest. It is just north of the city he built this house, but he used so much wood from Lebanon, the cedar of it, they called it the the house of the forest of Lebanon. That's how much wood. Now, listen, Israel doesn't have a lot of lumber anyway. Just trees are not in supply there. Uh, It is only recently that when the Jews came back to Israel in 1948 that they went through and they planted millions of trees. And the wonderful thing is uh, you can see these trees today after being planted in 1948. So what you see today in Israel is only there after 1948. They just, the trees didn't grow very well there. Again, you didn't have a whole lot of water supply. If you go to Yavashem, the Holocaust Museum with us, it's a wonderful time to just be there, see the Holocaust Museum, but on the back there's this patio that overlooks this valley, and it's just trees as far as you can see. It's wonderful, and it proves Again, the Bible, because the Bible said that eventually uh, Israel would bloom again uh, like in the desert. And so uh, he's got a lot of time on his head, doesn't he? Well, let's see what else he makes. Moreover, the king made a great throne. Oh, apparently he doesn't have a, a good enough, you know, chair uh, and throne. So what do you do if you got that much material? Well, you make it out of ivory. And yes, that's elephant tusks. Don't send letters. I didn't write it. And then if you're bored, well, you overlay the ivory, which looks pretty anyway. Imagine having an ivory piano and then putting gold on it. That's exactly what the guy did. Is he bored? Oh, he's bored. And then (laughs) the throne had six steps with a footstool of gold. How about you, but... Who's the guy who has to A, make it, and B, move it? Because gold is heavy. So he's got a footstool of gold, (laughs) uh, which were fastened to the throne, and there were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrest. Now, either these are real lions, which would be cool, because he's got his own zoo, as we'll see in a minute, but they're probably not. They're just statues of lions. So I want you to imagine this. You've got ivory laid with gold, steps, six steps up, again, six uh, uh, number of man, and then you've got a gold uh, footstool and these two giant lions there. Are you intimidated if you're a world leader coming in the presence of Solomon? Absolutely. It's like going to court and they put the judge higher. It's intimidating. You go before the Supreme Court, oh, there's all the black robes up there. Very intimidating to see these lions uh, and Solomon there. Well, then it continues with the lions. He said, 12 lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. So it wasn't just two at the top. Now he's got six all the way down the steps. And nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom, not the Romans, not the Greeks, nobody. And so, all King Solomon's drinking vessels, of course, they're going to be what? None of that plastic that we use today. All of his drinking vessels, how, and that's got to be heavy too. This guy must be yoked, or he has a gold straw. I don't know. And so all of his drinking vessels were gold. All of the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. He, you know those people that got like gold faucets and gold electrical plates and gold everything? This is Solomon. He, he has everything that is gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing. Three years the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So he sends these out on a three-year voyage, and then they come back every three years. We're going to read that Solomon reigned for 40 years. So that's a pretty good amount of time that these ships come back. 
when it says Tarshish here, we're not really sure where Tarshish is, but in the Bible, Tarshish usually is like wherever the furthest away possible, that's where Tarshish is. It could very well be that they were going as far as Britannia that the Romans later on called the island of Great Britain. So they could have gone that far. They could have gone into China, India, and just anywhere. So he <laughs> bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. Now, these are not native to Israel. So he starts to develop his own zoo. This guy has <laughs> got a... Uh, let's keep going. And so King Solomon surpassed all the kingdoms of the earth in riches and wisdom. It is stated that nobody ever on planet earth has come close to the amount of resources uh, that Solomon has. That even means even today's multi-billionaires. Bill Gates got nothing on Solomon or anybody else. So that's pretty clear that Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in wisdom and in riches. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And so they come to him. Each man brought his presents, articles of silver and gold and garments, armor, spices, horses, mules, and a set rate year by year. What do you get the guy that's got everything? And yet they just keep bringing it. By the way, he'll later write that all is vanity, that he realizes at the end of his life that none of this meant anything. It was a relationship with the Lord that was important. And I love that God put one man on planet Earth who had everything under the sun. There wasn't anything that Solomon could not have. No food he couldn't have, no amount of women he couldn't have, no amount of uh, power he couldn't have, wisdom he couldn't have, building projects he couldn't have. He had everything. And at the end of his life, he said, all is vanity. God allowed one guy on planet Earth to have it all and to tell us it doesn't really matter. What's most important is a relationship with God. And Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses, chariots, and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities. Again, Megiddo being one of those cities. And with the king at Jerusalem. And so he reigned over all the kings from the river to the land of the Philistines. The river is always uh, Euphrates in the Bible as far as the border of Egypt. And so the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and he made cedar trees as abundant as sycamore, this the common lowly tree in Israel, which are in the lowland. So if you go down to the wadis in Israel, uh, the dry areas, every once in a while you'll see these trees out there, and that's what he's talking about. And so they brought horses to Solomon from Egypt and all of the lands. Now all the rest of the acts of Solomon, from the first and to the last, are they not written in the book of Nathan the prophet and in the prophecy of Ahijah the Shilonite and in the vision of Ido the seer concerning Jeroboam the son of Nebath? And so he tells us that we can go over to Kings and we can read further in the life of Solomon. Now Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all of Israel for 40 years. And then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Now, what I find interesting, maybe you don't, maybe it's just me, he's got 700 wives, 300 concubines, and only one son mentioned. How many kids does this guy have? One son is mentioned, and it is now Rehoboam. And now this path, which went from Saul to David, to Solomon, and now is at Rehoboam, and now for the rest of this period in Chronicles, we will go through the majority of Judah's kings, not Israel's kings in the north, because the chronicler is focused on Judah, 
in the south. Now Rehoboam went to Shechem. That's in the northern part of Israel. For all that Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. Why they didn't do that in, in Jerusalem, it doesn't tell us. But he goes to the north, to the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes. You might say he's going to the more populous cities. He's going to the metropolitan areas and not to the rural areas of Israel. I know politics isn't like that today, is it? And so it happened. I love how the Bible always says that. And so it happened. When Jeroboam, the son of Nebath, heard of it, for he was in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Now, Jeroboam is mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 11. You can read about Jeroboam. God told him through a prophet that he would rule over portions of the divided Israel. God had told Jeroboam, listen, this nation is going to spread apart. It's going to split apart. I'm going to have two different kingdoms, not by God's design, but by the people's design and their rebellion. And you, Jeroboam, will be the head of that in the north. So at that point, Jeroboam flees to Egypt, and now he learns that Solomon is dead, and so now he comes back into Israel. And so it was that they sent and they called him, verse 3, and Jeroboam and all of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father, and of his heavy yoke, which he put upon us, and we will serve you. Very simply, listen, you're going to be the next king, okay? Let's, let's have a little reform. <laughs> Your dad went plumb crazy with building all over the place and with those heavy footstools and them heavy cups. Could we just have a break for a while? Could we have lower taxes, please? Could we have low gas prices? That's what's going on. And so they come to this young man, Rehoboam, and they say, lighten the load. Now God warned, <laughs> he warned Israel in 1 Samuel 8, 10 through 19. He warned what would happen eventually when the king would come and rule, that he would have high taxes, that he would take your manservants and your maidservants. He would take the first of your crops, all of which David didn't do and Solomon didn't do. So that didn't apply to those guys. But eventually, he would take all of that from them. So if you're making a note, 1 Samuel 8, verses 10 through 19, describe how God is talking through Samuel of what eventually a king would do and how he would take it from you. Please note with me what the elders do not say to Rehoboam. They make no spiritual demands of Rehoboam because by this time, and again, we're reading in 2 Chronicles. If we're reading in, in 2 Kings, we're going to read about the idolatry that has come into the nation by this time. Uh, from all of Solomon's wives, they bring in the idolatry. They turn Solomon's heart uh, away from the Lord. So you see the chronicler is very kind to Solomon here, amen? <laughs> it's kind of like if you would want somebody to write something a little bit later in your life and not when it was going on. That's what Kings was written. They were writing while it was going on. And so they're saying everything. Well, at this point, they don't. the chronicler doesn't say that. But these men apparently don't say, hey, remove all the idolatry that your dad set up. They don't do that. Why? Because by this time, they are now comfortable with it. Notice, no spiritual. They just want the economy to be good. Oh, forget about the morality of the nation. That's too far gone. Isn't it funny that there is nothing new under the sun? People could care less about rioting and looting and all of the abortions that happen. No one talks about that. We just want the economy to be good. 
And these men do the exact same thing. They just say, hey, take the heavy yoke upon us. Well, you would think that a young man who's starting out in his political career would hear from his constituents, right? Now, let me just pause a second, because there are times where a political person, a congressman or a senator, really needs to listen to his constituents. That's very important. Then there are other times where that political person needs to step away from that and be driven by what he feels is most important and that will help. And that's not always something favorable back in his area that he is representing, right? So there are times that you should listen to the people, and then there are times you, shouldn't, you should not listen to the people. This is that time they should, that he should have listened to the people. So he says, hey, come back to me after three days. And so the people departed. Now King Rehoboam consulted the elders, and that's exactly what it means, the older men. And he stood before his fathers, uh, who stood before his father Solomon, while he still lived, saying, how do you advise me to answer these people? And so they spoke to him, saying, well, if you are kind, (laughs) just kind (laughs) to these people, and please them, and speak good words to them. They will be your servants forever. You know, it's amazing. That's why I love the South, because someone could say something to you here in the South and chew you out, and they just got to end it with, bless your heart. And you're like, I appreciate you just ripping me all up and down. Thank you. It's so kind. It's amazing what just kind words will do to diffuse a situation as well. Uh, my kids were <laughs> um, out the other day. Was it, ye- was it yesterday? What day was it? What day is today? Wednesday. Yesterday. Uh, in front of one of the polling places, and they were helping a, a candidate out there. And, and uh, they were saying they were amazed at how many people called them number one. Not with the finger that you think would be number one. And how much abuse people are really throwing out there. It's a really different world, isn't it? We used to be able to disagree. Well, now it's, it's violent, and now it's vitriol, and now it's, oh. But notice here, they just said, be kind. Be kind to the people. Please them. Speak good words to them, and they will be your servants forever. But Please note with me, verse 8, he rejected the advice which the elders had given to him, and he consulted the young men who had had grown up with him, and so he stood before him. It is probably very likely that he already knew what he was doing. He just placated to the elders to listen to that, but he knew he was going to reject that. And so he comes uh, together with the young guys that are around him, and uh, verse 9, Is that right? No. And he said to them, what advice do you guys give? And what should we answer to these people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father has put upon us? And the young man who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, thus you shall speak to the lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker on my father than thicker than my father's waist. Okay, and now when, whereas my father put a heavy yoke upon you, I will add to your yoke, and my father will chastise you with whips, I will chastise you with scourging. So a man of the people, right? He says, listen, we're going to reject anything that has been done in the past, and we're going to get a new line, and the new line is, We are going to fundamentally transform the nation. You'll get that on the way home. Is that not what he's doing? This is what's been done before? But no, no, no. We're going to fundamentally change what has been done before. Listen, given our current path, we will soon not recognize this nation of ours. And it will look like Germany and France, and every other socialist nation. 
And so anybody know what's going to happen next? When you push a people like this, and listen, let me just say this because I don't need anybody saying or taking me out of context. I am not condoning any violent course. But I do believe that Thomas Jefferson said that every once in a while, the tree of liberty must be watered by the blood of tyrants. That's what our founding father said. That's why they gave us the ability of the Second Amendment. Now, please do not take that out of context, you shining up your little whatever on your couch in your pajamas. Knock it off! But I find it interesting what our founding fathers had set forth for us. Remember, Benjamin Franklin was asked by that woman coming out after the Constitutional Hall she asked Benjamin Franklin, what did you give us? And he said, Madam, a republic, if you can keep it. Can we keep it? Well, here, what they had set forth, what God had set forth for the nation of Israel, they threw it off. And they said, we're smarter than God. We're smarter than Solomon. We're smarter than David, smarter than Saul. So, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day. <laughs> Can you imagine what that looks like? Who, I want to see this video. And as the king had dictated, saying, come back to me on the third day. And so the king answered them in what way? Roughly, harshly. He spoke down to them. Listen, any leader that speaks down to, his, to their people whom they're elected to serve, we don't elect rulers, we elect servants of the people. So to here, the king's role was to serve the people, not to be a dictator over them. Oh, reject any administration that is like that as well. Well, yeah, so he answered them roughly, and King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to it. My father chastened you with whips, and I will chastise you with scourges. If you were listening to this, uh, what are you thinking? Like, this is not what we thought. Okay, I, I won't get into it today because I really want to get into it today, but I'm not going to get into it today. But people are being so deceived today, thinking they're getting something, and they are not getting that at all. It will never be that way. You cannot take the wealth of the nation and distribute it, and everyone else is going to live hunky-dory. What's going to happen is you're going to see a Russia-style Politburo, which has happened everywhere around the world. A certain group of people are wealthy and get their hair done without masks. Thank you. You'll get that on the way home. And then the rest of us have to do all the work. You love the Bible, don't you? Because it speaks of our time. The last time we were in a, a couple of administrations ago, we were also in the book of Kings, and I kept pointing out all of these things that were in the book of Kings and that were relevant to the day it was like reading the news because man is still man and man wants power above all things. And listen, man is not inherently somebody who goes after freedom. You need to hear this because I hear this from the news, man wants freedom. No, he doesn't. He naturally has to be taught that to be free. He doesn't want to be free. He wants someone to tell him what to do and then give him a check. That's the, that's the heart of man. The heart of man is not to be free. That's why that statement of Jesus, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. Freedom is not natural to the heart of man. It must be taught and promoted. Well, not here. <laughs> not with the scourgings. You're thinking to yourself, Woo, I was hoping scourgings would go up. And so the king did not listen to the people. <laughs> For the turn of events was from God. Again, God knew all of this was going to happen. And that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he had spoken by the hand of Ahijah the Shilonite, to Jeroboam the son of Nebath. 
Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your own tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O O David. So all Israel departed to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. So now this becomes the southern tribe, the two tribes in the south, and the ten northern tribes. So Rehoboam in the south, Jeroboam in the north. Verse 18, now King Rehoboam sent Hadaram, who was in charge of the revenue. (laughs) I'm sorry, I already know what's coming. Uh, But the children of Israel stoned him with stones. So the tax guy came to collect taxes in the north, and that didn't go well for the tax guy. Again, not promoting anything. Calm down. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. And so uh, Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So this is now splitting the nation. There is no longer one tribe. uh, uh, I'm sorry, there is not 12 tribes uh, in one government. It is now 10 northern tribes and two southern tribes. Well, read ahead as we continue in the Kings because it just gets bad from here. In the southern tribes, there are a few good kings that come up. Josiah is one of them. Uh, But there are also a lot of wickedness that we will see uh, through these kings. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your servant David, even Solomon, for Jeroboam and Rehoboam, Lord, that we would learn from. There is so much here. There is so much politics in here to learn from. Lord, we thank you that we have these examples in your word given to us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you have set us free from the bonds of sin and that we would promote freedom on planet Earth. And so, Lord, we just ask again your hand to be upon this country, upon the election, upon weeding out corruption. And so, Lord, just we pray once again for the hearts of men and women through this time that they would see a need for Jesus Christ, that they would be secure in their eternity where they will spend the rest of eternity. Will it be with you or be separated from you? So, Lord, thank you. We can't thank you enough for meeting together. We pray for the church around the world. We pray for the church around the country that can't meet. We pray that you would strengthen us because it may come to a place, Lord, where our religious freedoms are challenged and are we strong enough in you to stand fast in that day. So, Lord, be glorified be magnified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.